0: This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you guys this week. So, I feel like I've been getting some... I went from... Last time I preached was like the random text at the end of the Colossians that I said like most people usually skip over. And then this time I have like maybe the most popular passage in scripture ever written. <laughs> so I feel like Aaron's been throwing me some bones, some variety. Yeah, it's interesting that just kind of preparing for this this Sunday and the sermon and, and thinking about that, thinking about the fact that Psalm 23, probably more than any other piece of scripture, is the most popular. Um, so much so that, I mean, I feel like everyone here has at least seen one or two movies where someone super random is quoting... Some part of the psalm, super out of context. Like, I don't know, like some military movie where they're like sniping people and they're like, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Same part of mine. Um Yeah, but I think one of the reasons why the psalm is so popular is because of how universal it is, how universal the message of the psalm is to us. The psalm and in a sense, it's, it's words of comfort that we all need to hear. I think it's what makes it so popular. You know, my, my first sermon at Emmaus um, several years ago was one where I got to pick the topic. Um, I was just filling in on a, I think it was like January 2nd or something. It's just like when no one wanted to be around or no one else wanted to do it. So like, hey, Ben, why don't you preach? <laughs> um anyway, so the, the sermon that I chose or passage that I chose for that was the opening of 2 Corinthians, talking about God as being the God of all comfort. And one of the, and as I was reflecting on this passage and the, just the truth of the universalness of it being a, a passage of comfort, I was thinking about back on that sermon and it reminded me of uh, one of the quotes that I opened that sermon with. And it was something that, A guy named Harold Best said, he said, the nature of life in a fallen world is this. If you're not suffering now, you will someday. And if you aren't suffering now, you're near someone who is. It is impossible then for worship not to intersect with suffering because worship is the universal calling of people and suffering is the universal experience of people. And I bring that up to say this, that I don't think we can have a genuine relationship with Jesus, with our shepherd, without acknowledging suffering. Whether we're talking about his suffering, (laughs) his suffering on the cross that he suffered for us, or whether we're talking about our own suffering and our relationship to Jesus and that, or the suffering of others. Either way, there's, if you're worshiping the God of comfort, there's no way around dealing with suffering. And I don't want to get into the weeds and address the why behind suffering this morning, but I am wanting to acknowledge it's reality, especially for us, those who believe in Jesus, if that's you this morning. And if there's one thing that I think Psalm 23 could teach us today, it's this. God is worthy of our trust. Amen. Let me say that again. God is worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our trust, whether we are laying down in green pasture or we are walking through the darkness of the valley or waiting for that table to be set for us before our enemies. Regardless of our circumstance, he's worthy of our trust. So my hope this morning what I want to walk through in the psalm, these words from David. My prayer is that the Spirit will use this psalm to grow our trust in the Father. Whether the season in life is the green pasture or the valley. So let's pray before we jump in to unpack this psalm. Jesus, this morning we want to come before you grateful. Jesus, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful that you you gave David these words as he reflected on his own experience with the Father, that those words would one day shed light on, on your relationship with your Father and therefore ours, because we're in you. Jesus, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear the beauty of, of your gospel, of who you are and who you've called us to be. Uh, Jesus, we're thankful that, that you are Emmanuel, that you're God with us. And I pray that you would use this passage to remind us of that, to, to warm our hearts towards your, your grace and your mercy. Amen. So Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for this word. In your name we pray, amen. So start that first verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So this metaphor portrayed in the psalm, I think is, is a way of David understanding who God is through the lens of something that he understands really well. If you didn't know this, I think most of you do, but before David was king, he was a shepherd. He was the youngest of his brothers, um, and I'm not sure exactly why, maybe because it was like the least favorite job, but usually the youngest in the family was the one who had to tend the sheep. So every time... You had like a little brother born. You got an upgrade. <laughs> you, got, you got to do something else. You got a promotion and they had to go watch the sheep. And that was David's position um, before um, they came and they anointed him as king. Um, and he one day ended up becoming king after Saul. But this, is, this is David's words to God and his understanding of his life experience and reflecting on that and thinking about God's character and who he is in light of his experience. And so something he knew really well, other than being a king, was being a shepherd. But I think another thing to, to think about is that the kings of Israel, not just David, but throughout the line, um, one of the metaphors used for them was that of a shepherd. The, the, the kings of Israel were seen as shepherds of the people of the kingdom, much like the metaphor is used in the, in the word for elder or pastor. In the New Testament, elders are considered shepherds of the church. Not to say that elders should be regarded as kings. <laughs> far from it. But yeah, David is acknowledging that, that even as a shepherd of Israel, that's the metaphor of their kings, he is seeing the Lord as his shepherd. Those opening lines, the Lord is my shepherd. Even though David has been a shepherd, he... Has a shepherd over him. And we have a shepherd over us in Christ. And the first claim that he makes then about the Lord being his shepherd is that because God is his shepherd, because he recognizes that he he knows that he shall not want. Or maybe a better way to say it, he shall not lack anything. So I don't think that's to say that because God is our shepherd, that anything we ever want, (laughs) he's going to give us. I don't think that's the message there. I think that's kind of an an old way, that translation is an old way of saying, I have everything I need. Because God is a good shepherd. He provides for everything that we need. And I think that's the first the first reason why we should trust God, if we're looking at this passage and wanting to understand how, why should we trust God, it's that because God is our shepherd, being a good shepherd, he provides everything we need. We can trust him because he's a provider. So let's look at verse two. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. I mean, when you read that, what more could a sheep need than a green pasture to graze and still water to drink from? Not rushing waters that are dangerous you can fall and drift away in, but still waters. You know, just right before the sermon, Cole was showing me pictures on his phone of some of the spots that he got the fish this weekend. I was trying to hold in my jealousy. But But even when I got to go to man camp, um, the campsite that we were we're at was literally next to this like really still, just like beautiful, serene stream. And it immediately reminded me of this. Also, this was definitely in my mind because I've been thinking about it, but yeah, still streams. So I think something we we can see in that, the green pasture and the still water is that I think what David is saying is not only does God provide, for our needs, but he provides them to a degree of perfection. There's an exactness <laughs> to our needs that God provides. And I think we should pause and look at this word make, too. He says, He makes me lay, lie down in green pastures. I think it's interesting because uh, you can't really make a sheep lie still unless they have what they need. And there was, in my research, there's a guy named Philip Keller, who's an author, I think a pastor, and, but he spent a part of his life as a shepherd, a real life shepherd. And he said that there are a couple of things that, that sheep really need to feel free enough to lay down. So there's, there's four things kind of primarily that they need to feel comfortable enough to do that. Said they need to be free of fear if sheep sense that there's danger, if they if they sense that there's a predator, they're not going to lie down. They're going to be ready to move. There's also, you know, there's relationships within the flock. And when sheep are having friction, if they're fighting over grass or, I don't know, just being annoyed from each other, they're not going to lie down. They're going to be trying to get a, <laughs> move around and get away from each other. Um, another one is free of pests. If there's flies and there's gnats and there's bugs... Bothering them, you know they're going to be walking around, trying to, you know, same as like with a horse. If you ever seen a horse flicking their tail a lot, you know it's like they're antsy because there's flies. Same with sheep. And then free of hunger. If a uh, if livestock are hungry, they're not just going to lie down. They're going to be eating, <laughs> looking for grass. I'm not sure those things to uh, to say. When sheep lie down, it's because they are safe and because they're satisfied. So I think that second verse shows us that God provides. He provides to perfection. And we can trust him because that picture in verse 2 is what he wants for us. If he's a good shepherd, then his goal is to free his sheep from fear, from strife from hunger and thirst. That's what he wants. If he's a good shepherd, then what good shepherd doesn't want that for their sheep? And that's a promise that we see in scripture. It's found in, when, in Revelation 7, when John is, is in the throne room, and he's asking the, one of the elders in the throne room, what's going on here? And he, and he says this to, to John in his vision, talking about Christ and, and the church, says, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's the picture of what Christ wants for us. It's a beautiful one, isn't it? Let's look at verse 3. It says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See, this is where I want to remind us that the series is called Christ in the Psalms. And just as we read in Revelation, Jesus isn't just a shepherd, but he's also a sheep. He's the lamb of God. And we see that. Because David was not only a king, but a prophet in his writing of the Psalms, we see that these aren't just his words, but they're Christ's as well. And since we can read that he restores my soul, we can read that as the newness of life we receive in Christ. We can read it as David relying on a restorative power of God's word, that his word and and God's trustworthiness because of his word is renewing to him. But we can also read this as Christ rejoicing in his resurrection. In the last psalm we read, that Aaron preached last week in Psalm 22, the the words of Jesus that he quoted verbatim were, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But in this psalm, in Psalm 23, he's he's celebrating that his trust in his father, his obedience in his father has restored his soul. That he didn't stay in the grave, but he rose from the dead. God's worthy of our trust because he's a God who keeps his promises. He restores us. But he also leads us in paths of righteousness. Righteousness. It's kind of the second half of that verse. And in a literal sense, if you want to continue with this metaphor, the shepherd and the sheep, then it's the shepherd's job to lead the sheep well, lead them safely to green pasture through whatever lies ahead. But it could also be read that Jesus is leading us in the path to make us the most righteous, the most obedient to the Father. He's literally leading us to become more righteous. And I want to note that commentator Johnson that was reading through, James Johnson, would say that we don't have to choose between those two interpretations. It's not necessarily one or the other. It's equally true that the path that Jesus chooses for us to make us righteous when we follow him in obedience, and that the path that he chose is the best path, the most direct path to home with him, to be in his presence. The path of Jesus will always be the path that brings him the most glory and us the most good. God is worthy of our trust because he keeps our promises, his promises, sorry, (laughs) not our promises. (laughs) We don't often get those. And he restores us. But he also wants to keep us safe. He also wants to lead us down the path that is the most good for us even when that path is dangerous. You know, the truth is that sheep don't always know, if ever, <laughs> where they are going. They're sheep. I, was, I think was thinking about that and just thinking about Abe, my, our dog. Um, every time we go on a road trip, he just, like, gets really anxious. And when you think about it, it's like, yeah, like, dogs don't have watches. <laughs> like, they're not keeping track of the time of day, like, When Abe gets in the car with us, it's like he has no, like we could, it could be like a five minute drive to the vet or it could be like a 15 hour drive to Longview, Texas. (laughs) Like he has no concept of that. And so it's like, yeah, Abe, I get why you're kind of nervous because you have no idea literally what's going on. (laughs) Um, And that's kind of how it is with sheep. And honestly, it's kind of how it is with us when we're considering God's plan. And I think, When we face that, we would much rather be the shepherd of our lives than the sheep. Because it's scary not knowing where you're going. It's scary trusting God that the path that you're on is the path that's for your good. Especially when it's hard. But we are the sheep. And he is the shepherd. I think the questions we ask, we get caught up in asking and that is, you know, why couldn't we stay where we were? Like this pasture was green, the waters were still and now we're going this way? We're headed towards the valley? Why? Why are we going this way? And maybe we grumble and say to God, you know what, I don't really like this path. (laughs) The ground is rough against my feet. There's not a lot of water. There's a lot of shadows, a lot of things. There could be danger around any bend. But the truth is, Emmaus, we need to trust our shepherd because he does know what is best. And he has the best plan for us, he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake maybe another way to think about that for his name's sake is to say he's not going to lead you down a path that doesn't bring him glory he's not going to lead you down a path that ruins his reputation as a good God it's for his glory not yours I think we do well to remember that. I need to do well to remember that. Yeah, I think there's a. I don't know, even just in reflecting on kind of the season that we've been in as a church the past couple of years, just even now. Um, yeah, it's hard not to feel uncertain. It's hard not to want certainty in the path ahead. Honest, well, regardless of any season, we just, we desire that. But we're not always going to get that. and It's not always going to be clear. But that doesn't mean that God isn't any more worthy of our trust as we head towards the valley than when he is making us lay down in the green pasture. It's something I need to remember for sure right now. Let's move on to verse four. Talking about that valley. He says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Talk about, um, you know, This is a really popular psalm. There's parts of this verse that I feel like get left out (laughs) when people quote it. We really like talking about God bringing us abundance in the green pasture and still water. And we really like that we don't have to fear evil because he's with us. We don't talk a lot about his rod and his staff comforting us though. That sounds more painful. But what David's saying is that the shepherd's rod and staff are why he doesn't fear evil in the valley. The shepherd's rod, you know, maybe a better way to interpret that would be like a club, a weapon, defends the sheep from dangerous predators. You know, when we first get introduced to David, there's like, two different stories where he like murders a lion <laughs> and like a bear <laughs> like really big, like the biggest predators there are with like his bare hands, I'm <laughs> pretty sure. Um, so like, like David knows the, the risks and the necessity to keep the sheep safe, because there is danger. And then the staff, something maybe we're a little more familiar with, you know, the, the one that looks like a candy cane. Pretty sure a candy cane looks like the staff. But, you know. <laughs> Chicken or the egg, right? <laughs> Probably not. But the staff was used to keep the sheep on the right path. You know, if you wave the staff around, the sheep are, you know, going to flinch and they're going to move in the right direction. Or the crook, the curve of the staff, was often to to grab sheep <laughs> around the neck or wherever to pull them out of something if they got stuck or to, if they are being stubborn, to get them to move in the way you wanted. Yeah, the, the rod and the staff, not something to be feared, but to be comforted by. I think when you think about that, when we think about the, the valley, it's a reminder that the Christian life isn't immune to suffering we aren't immune to danger or to valleys. I think when we read this verse, we can remember Jesus who entered this valley for us. We don't have a, a God who is unfamiliar with the valley, the shadow of death. Because it's that valley that Christ entered on the cross in his death. You know, I like to think of of Psalms 22 through 24 as kind of a a metaphor for the Easter weekend. If Psalm 22 we we read last week is Friday, you know Christ's words to his father on the cross, then Psalm 23 is Saturday. Jesus is in the shadow of death, but he doesn't fear evil because Sunday is the next day. Sunday morning in Psalm 24, talking talking about open the gates so that the king of glory may come in. And I think the the comforting word to us in this verse is that we don't have to fear evil when we put our trust in God. doesn't mean that we have to be completely void of fear. We're not going to be. We're not going to be completely void of doubt or in the valley. But we can have confidence. We can have some measure of it to know that our shepherd is sufficient to save us. He's perfectly capable of bringing us through the valley and back to green pastures and still waters. It's who Jesus is. Everything we've been saying so far is to know that we can trust him because he is a good shepherd He meets our needs. He restores our souls. He keeps us safe and satisfied. He leads us in the way we should go. It's for our own good. We don't have to fear evil because he is with us. A good shepherd doesn't leave the side of his sheep. So I want to ask, before we move to the the rest of the psalm. Where are you at right now? Are you in the green pasture? Could you say that of the season of life? Or maybe you're in the valley? Maybe you see glimpses of both. Let me ask this regardless of what, where you're at, are you giving God as your shepherd the gratitude that he's earned? God is trustworthy, right, in every season. If you're in the pasture, <laughs> you can say that. Okay, sorry, there's like a fly that has found me out of everyone in this room. <laughs> See, if there's pests, the sheep can't be still. Gotta... God throw me a bone. Um... If you're in the pasture right now, if you can say that of your life, it's because he's good. If you are in the valley, it's because he's good. We don't like the second one as much as the first one, but they're both true. You know, Joseph, at the end of Genesis, he's talking to his family um, that he had rescued out of the drought. And they were... Begging f- for mercy, Joseph said to them, You intended this for evil. <laughs> you sold me into slavery. You abandoned me. But God turned it for good. Amen. Amen. Will you trust God if he leads you out of the pasture to go through the valley? will you remember that you still need him even as you enjoy his blessings if you're in the pasture either way god's worthy of our trust and he is a good shepherd he knows what's best let's move on to the, the last two verses there's a there's a second picture that we get of god from david's understanding And we're moving from a metaphor of a good shepherd to that of a host, of a kingly host. Verse 5, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The first thing I think of when I read this is abundance and honor. It's abundance that he doesn't just fill the cup. He overflows it, which kind of seems impractical. You're like, I just want to, now it's just a mess. (laughs) But it's just a metaphor, so. (laughs) It's a picture that we receive more than we need from our King. He's capable of giving us more than we need. The anointing oil was usually reserved for great honor. In fact, most notably, it was a practice that they did when they were anointing a new king. One of the highest honors. But I think you see that as a, it's a picture of honor to the guest. But at the table of God, you are important. And there's, you know, the, the picture of it's a table set before his enemies. It's kind of interesting. Kind of as if to say that the, the feast is it's happening because it's a celebration of victory over your enemies. It's kind of a picture of David saying, God, you have, you have blessed me and you've blessed my role as king and in this nation so greatly that we are the jealousy of our enemies we have this abundance and our enemies have to look on and i can't help but see how great you are because of the abundance you've given us i mean how how often do we feel that way as the church in this world how often do we feel the abundance of god's love and his blessing in his son as his church as Christ's bride The world should be looking on us and saying, what's going on over there? I want to be at that table. But I feel like instead, a lot of times, the church just wants what the world has. We'd be, I think a lot of times, I mean, I can say this for myself, I'd be happy with a glass half full <laughs> when I'm looking to the wrong things. But That's not what God wants. He wants to overflow that cup with his self, with his blessing. But I think this verse is showing us something else, showing us that to look for Christ, who is showing us his role as our King, preparing a feast for his kingdom. Now Christ said this in in John fourteen Jesus is preparing a place for those who believe in Him to trust in Him. So I ought to be a Debbie Downer, but the harsh reality check here, then, is that the enemies looking on to the feast, for talking about the context of Christ as our king, are those who rejected Him. In John Calvin, in his commentary, he made a point to say that Jesus is the shepherd of his sheep. So if you don't trust him to be your shepherd, are you his sheep? You can't have it both ways. You're either his sheep or you aren't. Remember Cole taught us back in, in our series in John, in John 10, and Jesus described himself as a shepherd, point blank. It's one of the I am statements. And he said about his being a shepherd, Jesus said, I know my own and my own know me. Amen. He said, they will listen to my voice. So I ask, are you listening to his voice? I think the reality, the pill that can be hard to swallow is that if the picture of that table sounds good, if that's where we want to be, then we need to be listening to the voice of our shepherd. We need to be trusting in our King, believing that he's worthy of our trust. So Christ said, he said, believe in God, believe also in me. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. But here's the result. If you listen to the the voice of your shepherd, if you trust in him, David says this, the last verse, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me. I think this verse is important, especially with what I just said. And I don't want us to walk away thinking that we should trust God just so we don't go to hell. I mean, I feel like a lot of us probably got enough of those sermons growing up. <laughs> you know, a lot of us that were kids, for myself, I think my baptism as a kid had more to do with being scared of God than loving Him. There is, but there, there is a reality that the absence of God comes from rejecting him. But a better reason to trust him, than being scared of hell, is because trusting in him means that he's with you. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Because goodness and mercy are who God is. If you want to understand our path, remember, if we want to know who we are and what we should do, what's the first question we have to ask? Anyone know? Who is God? He's goodness and mercy. And we see that. We see that perfectly played out in Jesus. Emmanuel. God with us, Jesus who only did good, who only brought good to those around him, Jesus who even becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross, that death was merciful for us because it was the death that we were destined for. But goodness and mercy himself, because of Christ, is with us. We have access to the Father because of Christ. I said this to Aaron the other day. We were kind of walking through my sermon. I'll say here too, when I'm in the valley, I need God's goodness to follow me. I need to remember that if God is with me and his rod and his staff comfort me, that there's actually good in the valley of darkness because God is there. (laughs) But I also need his mercy to follow me when I'm doubting him in the valley, when I don't believe that he's good. but I also need those things in the pasture. I need to remember that it's my shepherd's goodness and his mercy that make me lie down, not on my own efforts or coincidence, but because he's actively trying to cast away my fear and strife and hunger. And God have mercy if I take credit for anything good in that. Jesus, give us gratitude to grow with our abundance. That should be our prayer. How often does our gratitude match our blessing? I think it's easier the more blessed we feel to start considering it but it's things we've accomplished on our own, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're a lot more comforted, or we're a lot, it's a lot easier to cry out to God for help in the valley than in the pasture, or to recognize His goodness. You now, again, Calvin said said that speaking of how David sees his last verse as his future hope this hope of this feast that's being prepared. Calvin said this, He does not say my cup shall always be full or my head shall always be perfumed with oil. But in general, he entertains the hope that as the goodness of God never fails, he will be favorable towards him even to the end. to say that David knows that his life is not all pastures and still waters it doesn't take long you know to read through David's story to see that unfolding but God isn't any less good he doesn't have any less favor towards those he loves the truth is that just as there's no greater place for a sheep to be than in green pastures and still waters for us we can say there's no better place for us to be than in the house of God if everything we just walked through is enough of a reason to trust in him then maybe this ultimate reason is that when we trust in him will be brought into his presence forever. We get to dwell in his house forever. And I know that reality can feel far off. And it's hard to grasp the goodness of that reality to long for and hope for it sufficiently. But you know, uh, actually just this week, Levi and Eric and I in a DNA and we've been reading through this group tape letters. It's taken like, us a very long time. <laughs> we just finished it. Um, but the last chapter, and Levi pointed this out in our discussion, there's this kind of beautiful description of when a believer dies. Spoiler. And so, the, I mean, if you don't know the book, the book is basically letters being written back and forth between two demons who are like talking about how to torment this guy. <laughs> and throughout the story, um, the person that they are assigned to becomes a believer in Christ. Um, and his faith is growing and growing. They're getting more frustrated. Or at least like the uncle is getting frustrated as nephew that he's writing to. Like, why can't you like tempt this guy the right way? Um, and, it's, and it takes place during World War II. And, and this, the person that they were assigned to dies. And they describe it this way. So this is Scrooge writing to his his nephew, who was assigned to this believer. He said, "How well I know what happened at the instant when they were snatched, when they snatched him from you." Talking about his death, there was a sudden clearing of his eyes, was there not, as he saw you for the first time and recognized the part you had had in him and knew that you had it no longer. Just think, and let it be the beginning of your agony, what he felt at that moment, as if a scab had fallen from an old sore, as if he were emerging from a hideous shell-like tetter, as if he shuffled off for good and all a defiled wet cleaning garment. By hell it is misery enough to see them in their mortal days taking off dirty and uncomfortable clothes and splashing in hot water and giving little grunts of pleasure stretching their eased limbs, what then of this final stripping, this complete cleansing? Did you mark how naturally, as if he'd been born for it, the earth-born vermin entered a new life? How did all his doubts become, in the twinkling of an eye, ridiculous? I know what the creature was saying to itself. Yes, of course. It was always like this. I love that depiction of of entering death for the believer because it acknowledges the struggle. Even when we enjoy God, because of our sin, we will get dirty again. Our clothes will keep getting dirty. And we we need to bathe in that refreshing water again. Because our flesh is weak, we will doubt him in the valley. But he's worthy of our trust because he will never leave us. He's with us. His rod protects us from the lies of the enemy. His staff pulls us back, and we, like sheep, go astray. And I imagine that picture of our doubts suddenly becoming so ridiculous will be met with <laughs> a seat at that table in the house of God. Look, I know this seems like we're in a season that feels unpredictable. I wanna acknowledge that. And I know not all of us are in the same place in processing that <gasps> But to an extent, aren't we all asking right now, (laughs) whether we're talking about Emmaus or just even in our own lives, what are we doing here and (laughs) where are we going, God? What's in store for my life? Maybe we are in the green pasture, but we aren't lying down because there's some things that our shepherd is still working on freeing us from. Maybe we're in the valley and what we need to do is just trust him to lead us through it. Whatever he may be leading us to on the other side. For all we know, it could be a green pasture that we just haven't been to yet. Like I said, and I'll keep saying it, God isn't any less of a good shepherd He's worthy of our trust. Either way, regardless of the journey, our destination, if you're listening to his voice, is that dinner table. It's a seat in his house forever. I love this. James Johnson said, Instead of dumb sheep, Jesus calls us friends. He should consider us dumb sheep, (laughs) because we are, but he loves us enough to lay down his life for his friends. We don't deserve to be more than that to him, but we are. He isn't leading you around without any more regard than a shepherd would for a dumb animal. (laughs) He loves us like his own son, because of the cross. because Jesus, like a lamb, was led to the slaughter by his shepherd. We don't want to be led there, but that is where Jesus trusted His Father to lead him, and because of that, our sins are forgiven. Because of that, we're free to lie down in the green pasture of his love and his mercy and his goodness, to be welcomed home as a son or a daughter in his house forever. Mayest, that is the beauty of the gospel, and the beauty of who our God is, our God who is worthy of our trust. If that's hard for you, if trusting God is hard for you this morning, don't give up. He wants good for you. <laughs> if you're not struggling with that, find somebody who is <laughs> and be there for them. That's what the church is for. God is worthy of our trust. Don't forget it. He's our good shepherd. And he's our kingly host. Let's pray. Jesus, we... We want to ask... Yeah, Jesus, just... Forgive us for all the times that we doubt... Jesus, when we, we read in your word and we experience through your blessing in our lives how good you are and still we doubt, still we want something less, still we want to be in control. Jesus, we're, we're grateful for your mercy in those times, for, for your goodness in spite of our weakness. Jesus, I just I pray that your spirit would empower us to grow in in more love for you and and more peace and uncertainty and and more joy in the unknown. That regardless of where we're at, lead us towards each other with gentleness the way a shepherd is gentle and cares for his sheep. Could we be that for each other as we receive that from you Jesus, we love you and we thank you for what you've done on the cross. Even as we partake this morning, help us not to forget that. That you lay down your life for your sheep. What better shepherd could we ask for? Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen.